Hello everyone and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to all things Port Adelaide Footy Club. I'm your host for this evening, Macca19, and with me is regular co-host Fishing Rico 4. There you go, Macca. <laughs> good, mate. Good. Good to see the uh, the chairs a bit still uh, a bit squeaky there. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely didn't oil it for our fans out there. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. And we've got another newbie on tonight, uh, in more ways than one, and um, we're talking with Noobzor. Hey boys, thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Um, now, as we do with all the noobs on the uh, on the podcast, we'll find out a bit about your Port Adelaide history first. Um, how did you come to support um, Port Adelaide? Uh, well, mine's probably a bit of a different story compared to most posters on the board, just because you know I'm WA born and bred, and I've been to Adelaide once in my life. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, um, growing up, my family didn't have a particular allegiance to any AFL side. And after doing a bit of reading on the board, most people are probably going to laugh at me for saying this, but the first thing that attracted me to the club was the jumpers in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. Um, And it was a pretty slow process. Um, I mean, I knew I liked them, I knew I liked watching them, but until I jumped on big footy and really started to understand the history of the club and... Uh, reading about the club, um, I didn't begin to understand about what it meant to be the boy, a Port Adelaide supporter. And yeah, the last couple of years it just took off, and I'm Port Adelaide through and through now. Beautiful, good, good stuff. Good work. That is a bit of a different story. That's good. So, when, how old were you when you started following the Guernsey? Um, well, I was seven years old when Port Adelaide got admitted, and uh, yeah. It was probably late 90s, early 2000s that I took an interest in footy and watched a fair bit of it on TV. So it was probably around late 90s, early 2000s that I really took notice of it and started following us a bit more closely. Excellent. Now, just a a couple of quick questions. Uh, What was your first game? Uh, Seeing Port Adelaide live. uh, It would have been 2001, 2002 uh, versus Frio at Subi. And we won by... Oh, 10 plus goals it was a lot I mean Freeman was a pretty average side back then and yeah I just remember Gavin Wanganeg killed it that day uh, Stuart Dew had a good game and yeah it was just a great way to be initiated to seeing us live um, that kind of win um, I can't see us doing it again this year in round 23 but who knows yeah and uh, favourite match uh, favourite games now is probably the qualifying final this year. I mean, I don't think I was old enough at the time to really appreciate uh, 2004 and even a lot of the games in the 2000s before that. And after the last five years, that was such a big moment in terms of really announcing that we're back and we're going to keep moving and keep going forward. And, yeah, that was the epitome of what we've done this season was definitely that qualifying final against Collingwood. Fair call, fair call. And uh, last of all, uh, favourite player? Uh, favourite player, I, I have a thing for the WA boys on the list. There's not too many of them. Um, so I think in the future it'll probably be Dom Cassisi, but my favourite definitely is Stuart Jew, um, just because to me he uh, he represents a, a different era in footy, um, someone that wasn't a natural athlete and uh, wasn't the body shape that a lot of footy, footy players are these days. Um, and unfortunately the moment that I love Stuart Jew for, he wasn't in Port Adelaide colours, but... <laughs> The 2008 Grand Final where he turned a match just through, you know, 
sheer skill rather than being an athlete. Um, yeah, that's that's why I love Stuart Jew. He's a bloody good player. Good yeah. call. Yeah, he was a good, good player. Mm. Well, he was a great reader of the play, wasn't he? And it just shows that's where you don't need to be a, an athlete, which sometimes AFL clubs forget about. Just if you can read the play and, uh, you know, you've got good footy smarts, it takes you a long way. Yeah, exactly. You only need uh, 10, 15 touches to really turn a contest. Yep. Exactly. He was a big game player too. He had a ripping final series in 2002. Pretty good finals in 03 and 04 as well, I reckon. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So were your parents... Were your parents um, Port supporters? No, not at all. Uh, my dad was a big uh, Waffle supporter. Um, he's a massive Claremont fan. And in terms of the AFL, VFL, he didn't really have any particular allegiance. Uh, my family's grown to be Fremantle fans, but that was a pretty slow process, uh, like my Port Adelaide one. Um, so growing up, I never really had a particular team that I was groomed to follow. So I guess, how, did you, so. how did you convince them to uh, take you to Port games? <laughs> uh, well, at that stage, they sort of decided that they were Freo fans, so they were happy to take me to Freo Port games. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, my dad's still a bit confused about the whole situation. <laughs> nice. Well, the big news today was uh, was the fixture being released. Um, Rick, what did you think of uh, of the draw for next year? Yeah, look, I. Uh... I think the common catchphrase has been we get what we deserve and we've got a good draw, haven't we? We've got a, a challenging draw, but it's not an impossible draw. And I think uh, as supporters, we need to just face up to that. We want the, I think we want the challenges, don't we? We don't want to have the excuse, uh, people throwing at us every year that, you know, oh, we only played the bottom teams and you've got there by default and whatever. So the destiny's in our own hands. And one thing I haven't done this year, and I noticed a couple of posters have done it, but I actually haven't gone through the draw and gone, this is a win, this is a loss, this isn't a win. Uh, this is a win. I haven't tried to create that expectation on what we're going to get. I just, I was more looking for uh, what free to air we're going to get, what the double ups are going to be, what are our time slots, and let's see what happens from there. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's quite a good draw to be honest. It, it is tough, but we knew it was going to be tough. You know, with the new rules, um, we knew that you know finishing in the semi-finals, we were going to face a couple of uh, tougher teams um, as the double ups, and we have done that. Um, but I, I like the evenness of the draw. There's no sort of... I think every Port supporter this year, um, when the draw was released for 2013, saw mid-season where we played, you know, Collingwood, Sydney, Hawthorne and Essendon in a four-week period and sort of gulped a bit and sort of said a silent prayer on, on how we were going to face that. But we don't really have that this year. You know, it's sort of, you know, we play a top eight team, then we play a bottom eight team. And it's, it's almost like that through the whole draw. Um, noobs, how did you see that, mate? Um, I, yeah, I agree with that point. Um, I think uh, Carlton and Sydney, I like I like doubling up against them in terms of the sides that were pushing into the eight last year. I think Carlton, in terms of a list of those sides that were pushing into the eight, is definitely the weakest of the bunch, um, and any number of injuries could kill off their season. And the same goes for Sydney, particularly with the way they've um, structured their signings and their payment. I mean, you can have $20 million in the forward line, but what happens when your midfield goes down? Um, so I definitely think that we could take opportunistic wins against those clubs. Um, and as you said, the evenness of our season, there's no bad run. Um, there were a few questions on the board over our Round 23 matchup against Fremantle. And I honestly don't see that as a big issue just because 
we were faced with that same scenario this season. Um, we had a late season matchup against Fremantle, which I unfortunately had to watch live as my one game for the season. <laughs> Um, and it really didn't derail our season at all, as long as you manage it properly and, yeah, go on with the right expectations and that sort of thing. Yeah, I don't see it as a big issue either, to be honest. I think um, I think it's a, a very tough end to the year. We play Collingwood, Sydney, Gold Coast, Carlton and Fremantle uh, to finish the season. I think all of those teams will be gunning for finals, especially Gold Coast for the first time. I think they'll, they'll be right up there. Um, so it's certainly not an easy run home, but, you know, that could that could easily um, be construed as a positive as well, you know, really sort of, you know, getting us fit and ready for finals. Um, you know, to play finals, you play good teams, so that's what you want to do. And, yeah, look, I, I think this is a draw that if we're good enough, we'll, we'll make it. Um, if we're not, we won't. Simple as that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was there was a bit of perception. Um, I read a few threads on predicting the final eight for next season. Um, and a lot of clubs, a lot of posters rather, had clubs sliding based upon the fact that there was a perception of an easy draw. And Port Adelaide was one of those clubs. And I really think that if we're going to progress forward, we want this challenge and we want to be able to prove that we can make the eight despite a slightly tougher draw. And this is a measure of a club is, you know, getting through those tough games and winning them and, yeah, making the eight based upon that. Absolutely. And what about, so what do you guys think about um, the four free-to-air games that we've got? Uh, do you think that's fair acknowledgement for our performance in the one Friday night game, or are you guys a little bit disappointed? Oh, I'm not sure it's a big issue, to be honest, personally. Yeah, I agree. I, don't I think mean, it's a huge issue. Yeah. What about the argument with trying to attract sponsors uh, and all that sort of spin? Well... I don't know. I guess uh, with sponsors, I mean they're they're going to be live into Adelaide on free to wear anyway. Um, yeah, I'm not sure it's a huge issue to be honest. Yeah, personally. I mean we managed to do it after the last five years getting Renault on board. Um, yeah. It did take and, five years, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. I think the motto is "We'll get what we deserve," and that's very true. I mean, it's been one good season, um, improving upon you know, the doldrums of what we faced the last five years. And I really think that if we can keep pushing and enjoy the fact that we're being underrated, um, yeah, we'll push on and things will come to us. I think we also have to accept what Russell Ebert Hamble was saying today as well, that it's a um, it's it's not a balanced uh, fixture. Um, you know, it is skewed for profits and it's taken me... Uh, 10 years to, to get over this and accept the fact that there is no real equality in it. And it, it probably means that no matter how well we go, whatever the spin is, we're, we're not going to get the, the beneficial uh, run at time slots as your, your Collingwoods or your Essendons or your Hawthorns. And I guess we just need to work within the, the constraints of, of what we've got and, uh, and constraints of what we've got and, just, and try and maximise that to the best of our ability. And as you pointed out, um, you know, we have been able to pick up Renault with the with the average time slots, and we've just got to work harder. And I think, and someone else pointed out today, um, Keith Thomas was on that station that we don't mention, and um, you know, and he just spoke positive. And and the great thing I, I read was he didn't compare us to the Crows. That's the last thing we want to do, and I don't really care what their fixture is. And and we just we just want to look at our own fixture and how we can develop that. And I, to me, I think it's a bonus that we've got uh, 13 Saturday games and a Friday night game. 
Uh, and the other bonus is I really don't like Channel 7's commentary, so only four free-to-air games is a bit of a bonus there too, <laughs> I reckon. The two good things that I think um, that we have in this draw is that we play all the top four sides from this year at home, um, which I think is a good thing, both in terms of crowds and therefore making a bit of money, um, and also the fact that we, we do get to play them at home. And the second one is that, uh, and this is a bit of a revelation really, is that for the first time in 10 years we don't have to play at bloody Geelong. This is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's overwhelming. I'm almost in tears over that one, Macca. Yeah, <laughs> I, I fully expected us to be playing at Cadenia Park, you know, for the rest of eternity, every single year. <laughs> but, you know, to not have to go there for once, you know, this is fantastic. Absolutely. And I, another interesting thing was I noticed that we actually made the uh, one of the games of the top ten games that you have to watch during the season from the from the Herald Sun with our round round two showdown against the Crows, which will be our home game at Adelaide Oval. It is. That's good. Yeah. So that will be exciting for for everyone to uh, get down there. Do you do you guys think it's much of a benefit that we're um, getting the first showdown, or it doesn't really matter? Uh, it's hard for me to comment, obviously, because I don't live in the city and I don't understand, you know, the complete intricacy of the relationship between the two supporter bases. But it seems just based upon Big Footy that it's a bit of a moral victory rather than anything else. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm not. Uh, I'm not too fussed that we're. You know, I almost wanted it to be a cross home game so we could beat them on. You know, at, <laughs> at their home game first up, that would have been better for me, I think. But. Look, I think if uh, if Adelaide Oval turns out how you know both clubs and the state want it to be, I think you know all showdowns from now on are going to be sellouts, full houses, and you know there's not going to be too much of a benefit having the first one, uh, apart from the moral victory, in my opinion. Absolutely, and I noticed um, I can't remember the exact figures that someone posted up. Again, it might have been Reh from the 1870 meeting last night, but uh, the the season ticket sales were up by about 10,000, I think, if that was right, which is a ginormous figure. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, we've uh, we've beaten last or this season's total already. Um, and we're nowhere near Christmas yet either. So, yeah, it is huge. That's uh, that's a fantastic effort for all Port supporters. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and noticeably looking at it, um, Port hasn't particularly, um, as a club, pushed memberships yet either. No, not at all. Not no. at all. Well, it's not even the membership drive part of the season. So, you know, that's fantastic. And I guess it shows what everyone was talking about with the uh, uh, the positivity of uh, moving to Adelaide Oval. So hopefully that uh, continues on. Yep. So what about, did you guys have any thoughts about the overall fixture? I thought it was worth noting that, you know, we're complaining about only one Friday night game. Dogs, Melbourne, GWS and Gold Coast didn't get a Friday night game at all. So we weren't the worst off. Um, the noticeable complaint in terms of Port Adelaide definitely seems to be the North Melbourne getting, was it four or five Friday night games? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, what did, we didn't have a, how many did we have last year? I can't remember. It was, it was... I don't think we had one, did we? I'm trying to think. I don't think we did. No. Yeah, I don't think we had any. It's interesting that you, um, you brought up North Melbourne because, um, I, I actually have a direct quote here from Malibu 27 where he said, 
uh, why don't they just be honest and admit Friday night footy is for the Victorian sides. North Melbourne has five Friday night games. My main gripe is the AFL, or with the AFL, is the lack of equality. However, there appears to be, uh, and then I've made notes here, though, that I would agree with that. But for this year, there seems to be the most non-Vic sides playing in, a, in the first game of each round for quite a while that I can remember. And Frio, deservedly so, is getting a fair few um, uh, Friday night games. And you can't begrudge them of that, really. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, no. I mean, in, in terms of that, though, in terms of the non-Victorian sides, I mean, you've got Fremantle, who obviously made the grand final last year, but um, outside of ourselves and Gold Coast, I can't see any non-Victorian sides really making a meteoric rise up the ladder or even being in the top eight next year. Mm, no, that's right. What about Adelaide? I thought they were certain to be finalists. <laughs> yeah, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> but it, surely there is there room for two Friday night games for the AFL to possibly schedule? I think they've done it once, um, probably about seven or eight years ago. I remember there was one doubleheader Friday night um, in the mid two thousands. I could just be making this up, but I'm sure it happened. Well, that'd um, be pretty. I can't remember it, but that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know. I guess um, I guess the downside is that one's got to be the Foxtel game. Yeah, and yeah. I think also long-term, in, in terms of the balance of a season, um, ensuring that every club gets a chance and also ensuring you know that the revenue is there for the AFL, I can imagine it would be quite hard to balance um, the fixture around two Friday night games. But I, mean, I, don't if we... the, uh, I don't mind the Thursday night game idea. I think that's quite yeah. a good idea. And even Monday night and Sunday night, I think, I think to get that more prime-time exposure, I think it's great for everybody. But surely we could maximise the, uh, the WA time zone differential and uh, during winter and you know because what is it with the eastern seaboard two hours isn't it yeah so, it's two hours so surely we could uh, you know have a, uh, a Vic, uh, an eastern game and maybe one on the WA which would flow on uh, reasonably well but uh, yeah. well, I'd I don't be know whatever that obviously I'm sure you would I guess are you talking about for Friday nights yes I am for Friday nights I guess the issue with that is that um I think normally if there's a night game in WA, it starts pretty early, uh, local time, doesn't it, Noobzor? Uh It starts 5.40, I think. 5.40, yeah. So if you were going to play that after um, the Melbourne time zone um, Friday night game, I mean, if you're playing a Victorian club, they probably wouldn't finish until about 2am um, yeah. sort of in terms of their body clock sort of thing, which would probably be an issue, especially if it's Collingwood and they lose, I'm sure that would get brought up. Uh, look, who cares, really? They're footy players. They need to toughen up. That's exactly right. This is the same Collingwood that was complaining about only having uh, about having nine games that weren't free to wear. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Hey, but uh, look, you can't blame them. You've got to shoot for the stars, don't you? And I mean, every footy club's goal should be to have 23 games free to wear. You know, that's what it's all about, being the best and... And, and wanting the best, I, I don't have a problem with that. We, I think we're finally changing our mentality as a footy club, though, and instead of complaining and going, oh, why not us, why not us, we're, our administrators are actually going, well, we're not whinging about it. Let's work to actually progress to be better. And uh, I think it's fantastic, and I think it's been a great strategy to look out of, uh, out of SA and try and brand ourselves more nationally. And I think it's one of the best... Um, uh, themes to come out of Alberton is to not be comparing ourselves to Adelaide anymore and just, uh, you know, 
just comparing ourselves on a national market and against all the other teams and stacking ourselves up against that. Yep. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more as someone that obviously lives interstate. The amount of people that, because um, a lot of people know that I'm obviously a Port Adelaide supporter. I mean, I wear the jersey at uh, footy training and that sort of thing. And the amount of people compared to the last five years that would come up to me at footy training and say, oh, Travis Bowe, Camish Hartlett, Chad Wingard, and even just how we were going as a footy club was just staggering. The, the rise this year in terms of the percentage of people that would actually approach me and talk to me about Port Adelaide. And at least you didn't have to be embarrassed about it too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't. I had to chuck that one in there. We've had a bad five years. We have. All right, well, we might as well uh, have a quick chat about the drafts and, and trade week. Um, last podcast was on the Thursday night. Um, there were no surprises for Port Adelaide on the Friday. There was a little bit of chatter early on that we might get Reece Stanley, but that didn't eventuate. Um, Noobzor, how did you see uh, the trade week as a whole for Port Adelaide? Um, as I, like, look, heading into both the trading and drafting period, I mean, most people tended to agree that there was two glaring deficiency in our list, um, those being outside pacey midfielders and the key position forward problem um, and we definitely fixed the pacey outside mids through the dra- uh, trading and the main thing outside of that that I took from it was that um, Port Adelaide was now an attractive destination for players I mean you had players on three different scales you had Jared Pollack who was South Australian drafted into state you had Matt White uh, a Victorian that supported Richmond as a kid and someone that didn't even grow up in the country all wanting to come and play for Port Adelaide. I think that was the biggest thing about it. Yep, good call, good call. How do you see Polek and White fitting in? Um, I think they definitely... Um, Polek more so than White will definitely, I think, get uh, best 22 footy. Um, White, it depends how we play him. I mean, there's been mixed uh, reports coming out of the club in terms of he's going to tag the outside players, he's going to play off a halfback flank, and it depends. Yeah, I mean, White's a bit unknown in that his stats are a bit misleading from last season. I mean, he played the majority of games as sub, and yeah, he's a the kind of player that can influence just having 15 touches anyway. So I think Pollock's more known than White going into the season. Could White be um, sort of like the David Wojcicki? Is that right? Did I say that name right? Of the uh, of, of Geelong, you know, is that sort of a role that we could maybe see? You know, that that fast sprinter from the half back line just busting the lines because I remember David tore us a few games. Yeah, I think he's definitely that type of player. Um, whether we choose to play him that way, you know, I mean, he hasn't really spent a lot of his football on a back flank. Um, he's been more of a sort of a midfielder, half-forward flanker, I think. So whether we choose to try and develop in that, him in that role, um, yeah, it might work. Yeah, it could definitely work. Mm. Yeah, I, I could definitely see him uh, lining up on a wing uh, rather than a half-back flank, but with a defensive mindset rather than just being a burst player that attacks us forward, um, yeah. And uh, what about the... Um, did you In Perth, did you see the article about... Uh, from Brad Ebert today saying that all the poor boys just were barraging uh, uh, Polak with the text after text telling him he had to come to Port Adelaide? No, I haven't seen that one. 
Yeah, I think it's. I think it was posted on the board. It's a. Yeah, it was a, a nice little article. They basically just said they went out of their way, texting everyone, texting him repeatedly, saying how much they want him at the club and how much uh, they value they've placed on him playing for the team and how they, he could add benefit to the team and hoping. Wasn't that there that a might... story as well that came out that um, when Pollock first toured Alberton, they all turned up unexpected to meet him? Yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, there, there was a story that we threw him a birthday party as well. Yeah, they jumped out of a cake or something, didn't they? <laughs> 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 That'd be you know, a surprise. Only, only footy players, you know. The, what is it? The army get naked girls jumping out of cakes or girls in bikinis and footy players, you get footy players jumping out of cakes. <laughs> I'm leaving but... that one well alone, mate. Leaving that one well alone. <laughs> now, in terms of the uh, the draft picks, um, they're locked in. We've got three at the moment, unless we delist another player, um, which is... Uh, draft picks number 21, 45, and 52. Um, Noobs, who do you think, uh, what sort of structure do you think we'll go with in terms of uh, who we're going to attract? Well, it's so hard to tell just because the draft is going to be such a lottery uh, coming into 21 because so much could happen between 10 and 20. Um, we don't know who's going to pick who and what kind of player is going to slide to us. So as much as we can conject about it, we're not going to know who's available. I mean, my preference personally is to a lot of people using this word, reach for a key position forward. Um, but you can't make that decision without knowing what midfield is available. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've been quite outspoken on the draft threads um, about my want for a key position forward first up, um, even if that is reaching for Darcy Hurrigan or, or maybe we might get Cameron McCarthy if he slides. Um, I'm not sure that Jonathan Marsh will be the answer uh, for that one, uh, but yeah. he's also an option. Um, but you, you're in... Yeah, you're dead right in terms of uh, which midfielders might slide. I mean, there's a chance we might get Akers. I mean, there's Crouch, who I'm not overly keen on, but he's an option. There's you know a raft of sort of uh, SA midfielders around the mark in DeMont and Dunstan and Battersby and all these sort of guys. So it's really up in the air what, what way we might go. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I agree with you in that the key forward camp, Marsh, definitely for me isn't a prospect just because he's too small. Um in terms of a key forward, um, I agree with McCarthy and Hurrigan, definitely. I think they would complement Schultz in the short term and long term. Um, Butcher and Shaw definitely seem like stay-at-home forwards in that they're going to be um, big wrestling forwards that take marks inside 50 and Hurrigan and McCarthy both seem like um, high centre-half forwards that could lead up to the wings and whatnot. Yep. What about um, Acres, Macca? I mean, a few, few of the posters have said hey, Acres looks really, really good. Why? What would be the reason that he would slip down to 21 potentially? And on Marsh, I thought he grew and I thought he got to 194 centimetres. No, I think he's listed as 192 at the moment. Okay. Yeah, I think Marsh plays short as well. Yeah, which is, I mean, 192 is tall enough. I mean, that's, you know, there's plenty of uh, key position fours that are that size. Um, but yeah, he doesn't particularly play as a key position forward. Um, right. Yeah, he's more of a, a tall sort of flanker, I guess, in the way he goes about it. In terms of Acres, I think the reason why he might slide is he didn't particularly have a, all that good a year. He had a, a shoulder issue, um, which caused him to play, um, you know, outside of the midfield for much of the year. Um, and he didn't have a great year. Um, but I think everyone's seen his raw talent um, and knows that if he gets his shoulder right, he'll be a yeah, he'll be a really good footballer for the future. Mm. Yeah. Right, so, I'm, so you're right, mate. Okay, come on. Okay, sorry. Uh, I'm, in terms of the midfield, I'm a big fan of, you know, a good mix. 
um, different midfielders that can do different things. And looking at our midfield at the moment, um, the one thing we don't have is definitely that tall, strong sort of David Mundy, Joe Watson player. And Akers is that in a nutshell, really. Yep. Well, how tall is he? Uh, he's a uh, higher one. I think he's 189. Yeah, 188, 189, I think. So could Marsh also play maybe that tall midfield role? Um, the big question mark over Marsh is his endurance. Um, I think I wrote that down somewhere. Yeah, he's, he's, the big question mark is endurance. He doesn't leave the 50 a lot in 18s. Um, and, the yeah, obviously, just because he doesn't have to tank. He's got the speed, though, doesn't he? Like the burst yeah. speed. He's got the speed. He got a pretty poor result in the beep test um, at the draft camp as well. I know. I noticed on the board, too, guys, that... Uh, Macca, you pointed out that you wouldn't be shy on Cornelius, and a few people have been talking about Groden as a uh, as a rock, rookie. I don't know much about uh, either of those players, to be honest. Well, Cornelius is a, uh, a Lewis Johnson style sort of um, high half forward. Um, he's 192 centimeters. He's played for Brisbane. He, he kicks goals. He's a good kick for goal. Um, his work rate's something that um, that has been brought up in the past. Um, he doesn't particularly chase a lot. Um, he could work harder off the ball. Um, I, I think in terms of our structure with how it sits at the moment with uh, with Schultz, um, who I prefer as a stay-at-home forward as opposed to the role he sort of had this year, um, I think uh, if we were to get another sort of uh, key forward that could play that high half-forward role and, and do the leading to the wings, and we can still have Schultz... Um, deeper in the forward lines and Butcher or Shaw as well, um, I think that would do us a world of good in terms of forward structure. Mm. Does he kick the ball faster than uh, Johnston? Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> so that's, me, uh, that's my family joke with me and my sons. We all laugh at his goal kicking because he just takes forever. So they should bring that in at our draft camp, Rick. They should. And how long it takes you to kick the ball for goal? Call it the Paul Salmon test. <laughs> <laughs> and what about Groden? Well, Groden's a uh, a midfielder, I think. I don't know much about him either. He was picked as a seventeen-year-old yeah. um, in the pre-draft sort of selections for GWS. Um, there was a lot of talk back then that he was sort of like a James Hurd-style midfielder, um, good at controlling the play. But look, he's had a lot of injuries and just hasn't been close to cracking a game at uh, at GWS this year. Um, so that's why he's been done. I think he'd be uh, probably a rookie selection, if anything. Um, I'm not sure he's probably worth a delisted free agent or a, a national draft pick at this point. Yeah, fair enough. And do you reckon the, the guys that are still unsigned will all get signed? You, you don't think we'll delist any, have any late delistings? Like, what is it? I mean, Newton and Archie are yet to be announced as uh, being signed up. I think um, if we were to do that, um, it would be to add in a delisted free agent. I don't think we'll go into this draft with four uh, live picks, I don't think. Mm. I think in the case of Newton and Archie, from what I've read, it seems to definitely be a case of the the players rather than the club um, dragging their feet on the contract. Yeah. yeah. Oh, has that been written about, has it? Well, I've sort of been reading between the lines when I say that. Yeah, fair I, enough. I think uh, both Archie and Newton have had a contract in front of them pretty early on, like a good sort of four, six weeks ago. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just remained unsigned at this point. Yeah, fair enough for me. And, yeah, I, th- I think the thing with those two players is that I'd, 
if I was in their shoes, I don't know why they, unless they're disillusioned with football and don't want to do it anymore, I, I can't see those two players getting another chance at another club at AFL level. No, that's right. No, you'd, you'd think they'd have to take it, wouldn't you? Yeah. So at this stage then, who, who would your early picks be to go at pick 21 then, if you had to choose right now? Um, yeah, as I said, it depends which midfielder is available at 21. If if Acres was there, I'd take Acres. Um, if yeah, uh, Dunstan, I would I would be happy taking Dunstan. In terms of the, I'd take McCarthy or Hurrigan if either was there. I mean, Hurrigan yeah, will be there. But what's your what's your guess? You reckon? What do you reckon we'll be taking? I reckon we'll. I'm hoping, and I reckon we might take Marsh. I reckon we'll take Dunstan. I think we'll take Battersby. Interesting. That's what I'm thinking. I think um, my ultimate draft would be uh, Darcy Hurrigan first pick, um, Dwayne Wilson second pick, and Ben Brown third pick. That's uh, that's who I would like. Were you advocating Conlon at some point, Macca? Uh Not me, no. Okay. Not me. I so mean, you he, don't he's think... an option as well, but I mean, he's just played no football, so yeah, yeah. I, I don't, don't know. I don't know anything about him at all. McCarthy won't be at twenty-one. You reckon? I don't think so. No, no I think we've got seventeen to Frio. Yep. Is he a WA boy as well? Yep. 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 And they obviously they didn't take J Pod as rumoured, and they still want another forward, so it makes sense, doesn't it? Yep. Uh, not so much for Frio, just because they're looking for a short-term option. But I think long-term they'll definitely look at McCarthy. Yep. Well, they're they're going to need they've something, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. Are they going to get Gumbleton? I think they have already. They have, yeah. Oh, okay. It was pick 85 or something, wasn't it? Yep. Jeez, that's a, worth a roll of the dice, isn't it, for that? Yep. I mean, there's two options. I Ultimately, I would like two key position players and a midfielder out of this draft. In what order they come, I'm not too fussed because I think there's obviously good options uh, for midfielders at the first pick. I think there'll be a decent option at the second pick as well. Um, and I think there'll be tolls late um, with our third pick that we can get um, but I think in terms of our structure and, and sort of depth, I think that's what we need to do, this uh, this draft. Yeah, of course. It's interesting. It's because it's so easy, so even, this draft. I mean, it's really interesting to see which way we're going to go because I think for the last few years, it's been pretty obvious which uh, direction we'll go. Um, but this one just seems completely up in the air. Mm. Yeah, I've, I don't recall uh, a draft being uh, so even where everyone's been talking about how there's not much difference between any of the players. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think with our last pick, um, we've got 45 and 54, don't we? 52, I think, I think, yeah. Okay, yeah. I think 45 will go tall, um, but I think 52 or 54, whichever one it is, um, I think that's a pick with the state our list is in to take a punt on someone that could be anything, that X, X factor in between us sort of player. I mean, we picked up Westhoff and Cam O'Shea late, and I think there's room for picking a player that once we come into our premiership window, hopefully in a few years, that could be anything, really. Yep. Mm. I wouldn't be against that. I mean, I don't have a name, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll throw my name in the hat. You can chuck me in there. I'm good for about 30 seconds. (laughs) Hey, I thought it was also... Worth noting with the um, the fixtures as well. I know it's getting a bit off topic, but uh, we asked the AFL to play our um, in our Premiership uh, top from 2004, obviously against uh, 
Brisbane this year, I believe. Do you, you guys like that idea? I still like that top. I think it's a good Guernsey. Um, yeah, I'd like to see that happen. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a good idea, and I can't see why we, that couldn't happen. No. Has the um has the Brisbane jersey changed much since then? Would they take part in that as well? Well, they uh, they changed their line to the paddle pop line. Oh, that's um, of course. That was uh, that was probably the only difference, I think. So they would be doing them a favour if they actually convert back <laughs> to the old top. Then pretty yeah, much. Yeah, appease their members pretty for much. a week. And I thought it was good of the AFL to allow us to have the Friday night game to honour the uh, the hundred year anniversary of the uh, Australian champs too. We Okay, so last of all, this is our, our final week doing the player review. So we've got our final eight players to review this week. And we'll start with Daniel Stewart. He only played the one game this year. He's been on the list for three or four years now. Um, he got the one go early on in the season against Richmond. Um, he didn't have a good game at all, and he wasn't seen again for the rest of the year. Um, he seemed to have all the physical attributes to make it at the AFL level, but just didn't seem to have the consistency um, and was a little bit laconic. Um Rick, where do you think it went wrong for uh, d Stu? Or where to go right, Macca, I think. Isn't <laughs> yeah, that well, the that's question? A, <laughs> that's a fair call, too. <laughs> well, I mean, we had posters bagging out on him for a couple of years, and, and I I, uh, I kept defending him because he'd come, he'd chuck up those marks in, in the games and put in the SANFL performances every now and again, especially uh, 2012 season, and to show that there was something there, and then... Um, he just, I don't know, he just didn't deliver. I mean, someone pointed out maybe he didn't push himself to that next physical level and or whatever, but he definitely, uh, he was missing something in his in his presence in games. And, uh, you know, he, he unfortunately he just showed us that he had the, the one good mark a game, which sort of gave us a bit of hope that maybe he'll come on and, and he just didn't. And I, I think he, this year's essay in a fell form also showed that maybe he was losing a lot of confidence or something because I didn't find that, that he was very influential in the essay in a fell either. Uh, and uh, it's a bit of a shame because he did have a bit of potential to, to go on and do something, I thought, anyway. But obviously uh, obviously not. And, you know, again, like I've said with other players, good luck to him. He's done better than a lot of other people in making it to an AFL list and he, he had to work hard to get onto an AFL list. And, and hopefully... He does well with whatever he does in the future. Um, yeah, when I agree completely with what Rick said. It's all, um, yeah, spot on. I don't really have much to add to that sort of thing. Um, but when I look at a player that's, you know, no longer going to be playing with us, I look at um, pretty much cost effectiveness, what he cost us, what he did for us. And Daniel Stewart was a rookie pick, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Yeah, and I think obviously he didn't work out. He didn't. He had all the tools, but he didn't mentally put it together and couldn't apply himself properly. But I think at the end of the day, he cost us a rookie pick and he could have been anything, and that's the kind of play you want to take in the rookie draft. Um, so it's no big loss to the club. Um, obviously, he was a bit of a whipping boy for a while and he didn't quite put it together. But, um, yeah, it's not, a, it's not a great loss in terms of what we paid for him. Yeah, that's a fair call. That's a fair call. I mean, it was a risk worth taking in picking him up because uh, he, he did have pretty good SANFL form the year that he got drafted. Um, and he did play a couple of really good games at AFL level. Um, my main criticism of him, um, he was just such a nearly player. Like, he was almost there. He almost takes the mark. He almost kicks the goal. 
he almost gets to the contest. He was very Damon White in that in that uh, in that sort of area. Um, but my main sort of ultimate criticism of him was that he just didn't get to enough contests, uh, and you could really tell live that. Um, it didn't take much to stop him from getting to uh, marking contests uh, sort of further up the ground. And he'd always sort of lag sort of three or four metres behind and, you know, put his hands in the air and say, you know, kick it longer and that sort of thing. Well, you know, in the end, it's up to him to make the contests um, that you're going to call for. Um, so that was probably uh, my main criticism of him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he always sort of threatened to do something. He'd take this, you know, always take a spectacular contested mark and dish it off or kick a nice goal and... And then he wouldn't get a touch for 50 minutes, you know, and that, that's probably his main downfall. Yeah. Mm. Lack of influence. That's it. Yeah. Mm. I'd, I'd love to see uh, Jackson Trengo's attitude in Daniel Stewart's body. Yep. Oh, it'd be awesome. Absolutely. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, keeping with the Stewarts at the moment, uh, we'll talk about Paul Stewart. Um, obviously, he's been on the list for a good five or six years now as well. Um I'm not sure if we've sort of half screwed up his career, to be honest, because he was looking like an outstanding uh, back flanker. We tried to turn him into a midfielder. It didn't work. Then we played him up forward. That didn't really work, apart from a few games. And now he's just sort of this sort of in-between player where he, we don't really know where to play him. Yeah, it's I think that, that midfield thing, it was, it was that period of time where we just we were struggling in the middle and it was that big body we could throw in there. Um yeah, he's averaged 11 disposals over his career or around about, I think, which, depending where we play him, is neither here nor there. Um, I think going forward, he's definitely someone you want to keep on your list just for the pure point of depth. I mean, he's such a versatile player compared to someone like Stevenson, I guess, um, in that he can play back, he can play forward, he can play in the midfield. Um, but in terms of our 22, I just don't see him getting there. Yeah, I was an advocate for putting him on the trade table this year. I know he's a very, very popular figure both inside the club and on the boards as well. Um, but I think he's someone that a club could have probably overpaid for, maybe given us a high second-round pick, um, which could have been useful. Um, yeah, look, he, he is a good depth player. Um, I just, you know, he just needs to do a little bit more. He just needs to kick more goals or get more of the ball or just, I don't know, I just want more from him because he's such a, you know, such a great athlete. Um, and when he does get the ball, something good generally happens. He just doesn't get it enough. I watched the um, North Melbourne replay a little bit on Fox last night, and um, he was in a couple of plays, and he's hard. He just he puts his body on the line, and I think that's why um, uh, you know us poor supporters can admire him, even though he, his output isn't as much as what we probably want it to be. Because he, you know, how many? If you think over the last five years. Uh, some of the hard acts that we've seen on the footy field, especially when we've been struggling, he's been involved in so many of them. He just, he's willing to put his body on the line and yeah. and he just gets crunched all the time. And, you know, there was a, two or three occasions in that game last night that I was watching that, you know, no fear. And some, maybe that's part of his problem. He's, he's willing to put his body in where sometimes he probably shouldn't go and he just gets absolutely driven yeah there's no doubt he's a super courageous player and he always gets hit and hit pretty bad sometimes Um, yeah yeah there was a period where he seemed to be going off on a stretcher every second week (laughs) yeah i I think he definitely comes across as someone that is a big game player i mean you look at that game where he he came on a sub and kicked that winning goal 
Um, the interesting thing, when I was looking at a few stats just before you guys had me on this podcast, um, his best game for the season, I think, was definitely against Hawthorne in round 16. And that was actually the only game that he played in against the side that finished above us on the ladder, funnily enough. Um, yeah, I, I just think there's something about him where he's, he, he's able to lift. Yeah, I do well, like his... Sorry, Macca. No, you go, Macca. I was just going to say, I really like his role as a... Um, a defensive forward. I think I thought he did that well this year, but with the with the talent that we've got coming into the uh, into the squad now, I just don't know whether that's going to be enough to be able to keep him in the team. Yeah, Monfries Monfries did very well as the defensive minded sort of forward this year. Yeah, I mean that's the difference really. We've got Monfries who gets more of the ball and kicks a lot more goals, um, and then there's Stewart. I mean Stewart's game in round one playing on Jack Watts. He completely shot him out of the game and kicked three goals and I thought, geez, he's in for a ripper year this year. But um yeah, he just didn't follow through after that at all. Mm. Well, uh, injuries definitely played a part, I think, in his year. Yeah, was it a broken jaw that he missed quite yeah. a lot of game with? And I thought he nearly broke his wrist there when he landed in I think that was it in the showdown where he landed on his like forward on his wrist and it looked like it buckled and then he was back a couple of weeks later. Yeah, he got subbed out in the first two minutes or something, I think. Yeah. That's right, yep. Um, staying on a similar sort of player in Matt Thomas, who also sort of fell out of favour as the year went on. Um, he's been a mainstay in the midfield uh, for a few years. Uh, didn't really get much of a look in this year at all. Um, obviously, he won the McGarry medal, which was a fantastic thing, and we've spoken about that in the past. Um, Noobs, where do you reckon it went wrong for Matty this year? Um, I think he just got surpassed really I mean he was through those years outside of Dom our only contested ball winning bully in the contest um, and we had obviously Ollie Wines come in and Boke had a ripper of a year in that regard and in in terms of that kind of player um, over the season you want someone getting a lot more than 15 touches because he averaged about that this year I think I mean a player like Wingard or like Need or even Boke and Ebert can influence a contest with 15 touches, and Thomas just couldn't do that. I mean, he's going to need 25, 30-plus to really, you know, turn a game and influence a game. Yeah, I was just, I think what you've said there's um, spot on, mate, because i sort of been maintaining for the last couple of years we're only going to get better when, um, and this is not supposed to be disrespectful to Matt Thomas, but when players um, are starting to force... Uh, players like Matt Thomas out. I mean, I even thought that were Tom Logan, but he sort of stepped, he stepped up his game to another level th- uh, this year. But, uh, you know, they're workhorses, but uh, there comes a time where the workhorses are going to get replaced by better skilled, fitter, more effective players. And, uh, and I, I guess the most interesting thing for me with Matt Thomas is the fact that there was all this talk about Richmond being so interested in, in drafting uh, Matt. I just... I just think he's probably a little bit too slow for AFL football now and he doesn't have that leg speed to do any run and carry. Yeah, the the Richmond one's a bit a bit strange. I'm I'm not really sure why they'd be all that into him, to be honest, because I, I just can't see him getting a game for Richmond at all, to be honest. Yeah. Well, that's well, a still, yeah. player there. Yeah, it's still going, the rumours. I mean, there was a thread started just a couple of days ago saying that he was headed there. Yeah, I mean, they seem pretty keen on him, and, and good on him. I, I really do hope he gets another go and plays, you know, some good footy for another footy club. But, yeah, I, I just don't see... Yeah, I don't know. That's a bit of a strange one. 
Bridge. Who do you, um who do you play SA NFL for? In because Norwood. Norwood. Okay, could he be a candidate for someone that plays in the Magpies reserves team or? Uh, I'm not sure he's old enough to be and, uh, uh, that sort of SA NFL leader, that sort of category that he that he would have to be in. I'm not sure he's old enough. Okay, he's, he's pretty passionate about Norwood too. I think. Yeah, I don't, he, I don't... he would never leave Norwood. He'd never yeah. leave Norwood. He's already and, uh, said that if he doesn't get another go, he'd uh, he'd more than happily stay for Nord uh, for the rest of his career. So and and well done to Matt Thomas. <clears throat> yeah, that's a great attitude. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Look, I, I think he ultimately just got surpassed by Ollie White, who came in and uh, used the ball better, got more of the ball, um, did, the, did the tougher things better um, than what Matty Thomas could in the end. Yeah. yeah, and I, th- I think a big factor differentiating Thomas from Wines is definitely score involvements. Mm. Yep, yep. Next player on the list is uh, is Wacko Jackso, big Jackson uh, Jackson Trengove. Um, he had a pretty good year. He he missed a lot of footy through the middle part of the year with injury, um, but his end to the season, especially his final series, were absolutely spectacular. Love Jackson. I'm a massive fan of Jackson. I've always I've been wrapped ever since we drafted him. I, I just he just talks very well. He he says all the right things. He he just looks like a a guy that wants to be a, a leader of the club. And you know he shows that on the field. And you know his hundred percent effort. And you know he's he's ungainly and he's that tall defender that we desperately need. And we probably need one more. But um, you know spot on, Macker. I thought he's end of the season was just fantastic and he really stepped up along with a lot of the other boys and uh, you know I, I just can't uh, talk highly enough about Jackson's performance over the last couple of years on and off the field and I'm very excited for what he's going to present to us um, next season he's going to come back bigger and stronger what's he going to be what 23 next year so yeah, I uh, think people forget just how young he is just because he, he did pretty much get into the side straight away yeah, and people forget that he is still, you know, only into his fifth year. So he's he's just he's probably not even in it for his size. He's probably not even in his physical prime yet. So what? No. So you know, over the next couple of years, I think we're just going to see this upward curve with uh, Jackson's development, and and hopefully he wants to stay with the club. I'm pretty sure he would, and uh, we sign him on, and uh, the boys continue to evolve with him. Yeah, I think the big thing in terms of Jackson that I think he endears himself to everyone is just through his his attitude and his sheer competitiveness. I mean, you just look at the look on his face when he, he loses a one-on-one or his opponent takes a mark and kicks a goal. And that's what you want in a defender and a footballer in general is just that hatred at the fact that he got beaten. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. at times he can be a little bit loose defensively, uh, especially in the defensive 50 um, he can give away some marks where you think, well, you know, you really should have done a little bit better there. But look, you can't fault his effort. Um, and look, those two finals games, I'm going to mention them again. But, I mean, to keep Ben Reid and uh, Podsy Adley to about three kicks between them and absolutely no influence, um, I mean, that's just a, a mighty effort. Um, and was part of the reason why we had such a good final series. Yeah, and from what little insight you get through, you know, social media like YouTube um, of the playing group, uh, Jackson, I think, probably would have been, along with Boak and Hartland and whatnot, one of the main drivers of the new camaraderie and culture between the playing group. He just seems like a player's player. Yeah, he seems like that guy that would be on uh, Bob's Rascal of the Week, I reckon. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, next player on the list is Justin Westoff. Um, now, I've got a little bit of a controversial view about his season, so I'll start with you, Rick. How did you see his year? I think Justin epitomises the difference of what a, a good fitness coach can do to a not, uh, a not very good fitness coach because, uh, Macca, you, uh, well, both of you have probably read my opinion of Justin over the last four years where I've thought he's been lazy, I, think I thought he's lacked effort, um, I th- and I, he, to me, just looked like he, he wasn't really trying. And now he looks a complete opposite player in relation to effort and chasing and running and gut running and influencing the game. And the only thing I can really put that down to is he looks a lot fitter. And that obviously has to be attributed, attributable to him and Darren Burgess and... I thought his influence in a lot of games this year was fantastic. He, he had a lot more consistency, which I think he's been lacking over the last uh, four seasons, um, and he, he really stacked up. But I've always maintained that while he was unfit, uh, he was taking up uh, a midfielder spot on our side and leaving and throwing our tall to short balance out in the team structure. And part of me still thinks that by not playing him as a dedicated forward, um, and just playing him as that roaming player, it leaves us one uh, tall forward short uh, down the ground, and it means we're carrying an extra tall if we do play that tall, other tall forward. Um, so I could say, I don't know if that's where you were going to go. You might have something completely different to say, but I think that structurally it can throw us out a little bit there. But this year, compared to the previous four, fantastic, and and that goal that he kicked in the in the losing final was just amazing. I just think um, I thought he was a little bit disappointing and probably not as good as what people have made out he he was this year. Um, Obviously, he had a a magnificent start to the year. His showdown was fantastic. His game against GWS was brilliant. Gold Coast as well. Um, And his end to the season was excellent as well, especially the final against um, Geelong. Um, But I thought he, he really fell away quite dramatically in the middle part of the season and had a big sort of lull patch of about six or seven weeks where he just couldn't get into the contest at all. And I don't know, everyone thought he had a super consistent year, but personally, I just didn't see it. I, yeah, in saying that, though, I, I don't think Westhoff's going to be the kind of player that you expect a completely consistent season from. I mean, he's mercurial talent and he's going to float in and out of games and... Yeah, I think he's, for the rest of his career, he's going to be the kind of player that will have three or four really hot games and then just fall off the face of the earth. Yeah, but you, you, can't, but you can't expect that at an AFL level from a, a senior player uh, and tolerate, oh, they're going to disappear for a while. I, I understand what Mac is saying, and that's probably part of my frustration. I didn't notice it as much this year to previous years, but, I mean... Someone of his size should be always influencing a, a game and a contest. And he's so frustrating because his best is just phenomenal and can make an amazing impact in a game. And you just, you, once you see it, you just want him to perform that way all the time. And I mean, what, he's 27 on the 28 now. So, you know, there's, there's probably going to, he's probably going to be reaching his peak. Um, you know, so 
Yeah, I, either way, I mean, I could see a case to keep him in the side for another five years and I could see a case for maybe trying to offload him and trade him off at the end of next year to, to try and get a maybe a more permanent forward higher up, especially if he can rack up another uh, season like he did this one. Yeah, it was probably the same criticism that I had of Hartlett um, and his season in that, right, you, you've had this massive start to the year, right, that should be... Like, I don't expect you to kick, you know, five goals and take 14 marks every week, but, you know, that's your standard. That's, that's you know, the level that you're setting yourself. I don't then expect you to kick sort of, you know, three goals in the next eight weeks um, and take an average of two marks a game for sort of six or seven weeks. I had of Hartlett where he just sort of, he, he set a new level of excellence for himself and then just could not get a kick for six or seven weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, just going back to a previous point that Rick made about how you think Burgess had a big influence, um, I ran a stat um, coming into this discussion and his tackle count this year was just in terms of tackles. Um, his previous high was 58 a few years ago, I think, and this year he laid 70 plus. Um, so I think he was just a bit more willing to get to contests and get his hands a bit more dirty this year as opposed to last. I mean, obviously he did fade out, as you said, Macca, but I think there might have been a bit of an attitude change in regards to fitness. Um, and I think the other thing with that was that um, last week sometime someone made a post in a thread about um, Hinckley's coaching and how he got them to practice a certain number of game scenarios over and over just because he was so... I'm shocked with the state of it. And I think that Westhoff is the kind of player that would benefit from that kind of coaching where he knows where to go and he knows how to be the recipient and how to influence contests. Yeah, and you're, you're right. Yep. I've probably robbed Hinckley of a bit of credit there because maybe uh, Hinckley's made Justin a little bit more um, uh, desperate in his style of play because definitely over the last four years, Justin hasn't looked desperate in his style of play. Maybe I'm being a bit too harsh because he did have career highs in marks, disposals, um, uh, contested marks, goal assists and tackles. So, look, he, he did have a, a pretty good year. And his best was, you know, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Mm. All right, next player on the list is Ollie Wines. Um, obviously his first year. Um, quite an interesting one in that um, it's come out that we didn't speak to him pre-draft. His family was... Uh, was uh, pretty shattered at the fact that he got drafted to Port Adelaide. But I don't think there's a player that's epitomised uh, sort of Port Adelaide football as Ollie Wines has this year. There's no, there's, I don't care what else he did for the year, but that hip and shoulder he put on Dangerfield on the showdown, <laughs> right? Went, went <laughs> right through him with the um, bust in his nose. was just fantastic, and I just hope he signs a new contract this year. Yeah, my favourite thing about that Dangerfield thing was certainly the way Dangerfield reacted to it in the media. Oh, remind me what happened. Uh, I, oh, I can't for the life of me remember what it was, but it was something along the lines of he saw it, I don't know, it was a good hit, but Dangerfield could have avoided it or something if he wanted to. I don't think he could have. Otherwise, yeah. he would have. <laughs> That's it. Because you always uh, cop a broken nose if you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, cause that's because danger is so tough. He just he just likes to do that to himself. <laughs> but, I mean, what? But what a se- what a season he had. I mean, he came in straight away. He didn't miss a beat. He didn't miss a game. He's uh, he had some excellent games against uh, Collingwood. I think that was probably his best game for the year. Actually, probably his two best games were against Collingwood, especially in the final as well. I thought he had a massive game in the qualifiers. Yeah, that goal. Yeah. 
That's all right. He, I mean, he looked like he was just tapering off before the finals, didn't he? Everyone was commenting about should he have a rest and, uh, you know, is he starting to tire out after the first season? But, I mean, uh, the kid was huge. I mean, he, the, his impact in the game at the start of the season, I mean, how much respect can you have for that for an 18-year-old uh, young man coming in against men uh, the size of a man already and uh, just the way he played, it, it just... He was like a seasoned veteran, and it was—I mean—so much respect for him, and it's just exciting to see what he's going to be able to produce next year. The things I liked most were just the little things that he did—just the blocks, the shepherds, the tackles, mm. um, the the little intricate handballs, you know, the the evasion, uh, the sidesteps, the little kicks. I mean, he really did play like a four or five-year yeah, veteran. And- and those are the kind of things you want from an inside midfielder. I mean, the number of times that I look at someone like Brad Sewell and watch a game of footy that I was involved in and then look at the stats the next day and think, you know, shit, I didn't think he had 30 touches or I didn't think he did all this stuff, but he was doing it in and under and putting little blocks on and all that little stuff, as you said. The sky's the limit for Ollie Wines. It's, um, I mean, he could be an absolute superstar. Mm. So you think he'll sign on next again for another contract? I would hope so. I would be absolutely shattered yeah, if I th- he left. Yeah, uh, the thing... I, I would be... I would literally cry <laughs> if he left. I think the thing that I have the most confidence in going forward, I mean, looking from the outside into the club, is just the bond and the camaraderie between the playing group. I'd be so shocked if a big name, you know, one of the key parts of our team going forward, such as Ollie, did request a trade back just because they all seem so tight. And especially him and his family as well. I mean, they seem to have completely immersed themselves in the Port Adelaide sort of spirit and what this club is all about. I mean, from what his family has said in the media to him himself, I mean, you go back to uh, Alberton after games, he's always there. He's always, you know, pretty much the last to leave. Um, He's always happy to have a chat. He loves this club. And I think, you know, I really do think he'll be a long-term player at Port Adelaide. So after such a... Fantastic season in 2013. Uh, where for 2014? What, what? Where do you see his improvement coming from next I year? I think personally fitness. I think uh, if you look at his stats and especially his time on ground stats, he was only playing sort of um, high 60s, low 70s for much of the year in time on ground. If he can push that up to the 80s, um, you know, I, I think he's going to improve his output dramatically. Yeah, I think, yeah, adding to that, I think my one big knock on Wines wasn't actually Wines itself, it was a match committee. I was one of those advocating the fact that um, although he did have a, you know, a good final series, I think that he needed more than just one game of sub to properly prepare himself. He's probably a bit unlucky in that every time he was sub, um, someone would get injured in the first 10 minutes and he had to come back on straight away. Yeah. Bloody Paul Stewart. <laughs> Cameron Hitchcock. I, I think know, he, was, uh, he suffered the Cameron Hitchcock hamstring two or three times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, from one superstar to another, uh, Chatty Wingard. What can you say about his year? What can't you um, say about his year? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm lost to words when it comes to describing Chad Wingard. I mean, he's just, yeah, phenomenal. Good old clutch wing god. I mean, yeah. he really was a phenomenon this year. Just, uh, I certainly didn't expect him to have such a good year. He uh, he finished second in our uh, board best and fairest. He obviously won the club best and fairest as well. Um, 
I think the key to his season was just consistency. I think a lot of Port supporters and probably the AFL as a whole expected him to sort of suffer second-year blues or, you know, fall away as the season went on, but it just didn't happen. You know, every week he was getting his 22 touches and two goals a game. Yeah, I, th- I think the key to Wingard, you know, having an influence every week, as you said, is the fact that he is such a creative and valuable asset in the forward 50. Not a, you know, so he's not just a midfielder that'll fade out at some point as the second year blues, like you said. I mean, he played so many games as a forward pocket and was still able to, you know, get his 20 touches and two goals. Creative's, creative's the right word. I mean, it's the finest stuff. If you watch him, especially when he pushes up to the wing and he gets the ball, the vision for him to be able to spot players and uh, the way he uses his hands in with distributing the ball to people is just amazing. He, he's uh, for, for a young guy and where he's going to get to once his endurance is up, uh, I mean, surely he has to be um, an influential inside uh, midfielder for us coming into the into the future, as well as an outside player, because uh, his flair with the ball is just fantastic. And you know, we're we're very blessed that GWS uh, didn't want him. I don't understand why. And um, you know, I mean, I would if I was them, I would have rolled the dice with them, even with the concussion concerns, with so many picks that they had in the top ten. Um, you know, but. Two years in a row, we got lucky with Wines and Wingard, and you know it's going to help set our future up. And hopefully, they're going to destroy GWS in a final in four years' time. I think um, the club never came out and said it, but it's pretty. We're pretty sure he was suffering an injury as the season went on as well. Um, yeah, it was no pain. Yeah, I think. his end of the year was uh, was a little bit down, uh, but he still came out and had a massive final against Collingwood. He was one of the match winners um, that day. Yeah, I, yeah. Wingard, he he provided my particularly um, favourite moment of the season. Was definitely, I mean, not the mark itself, but the mark he took in the showdown. But the moment for me was as soon as he took the mark, he just screamed yeah, out, "Yes!" Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I got shivers as soon as I saw well, that. You know, just yeah, you could like tell he he, 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 he just it. he wanted that moment. Yes, and especially the fact yeah. that in the media, um, I think he came out and said that you know he he. He wants to play well in big games and, you know, all the Crow supporters were having a go at how arrogant he was and how, you know, they were going to stop him from having a touch. And then he comes out and has a massive game and wins it off his own boot um, just to prove that he is, you know, a big game player that thrives on the moment. You couldn't you couldn't ask yeah. for any better than that. Yeah. Would you say would you say is one if you're going to criticise him was maybe the the first uh, half in the first final did he did he look a little bit nervous maybe he put too much of an emphasis on playing in the big game and and sort of didn't have that influence at the start against Collingwood Possibly. I think he could uh, he could improve his disposal efficiency a bit I think um, his kicking in general play can be a little bit loose um, but that would be my only criticism of his play this year I would think. Yeah, I think uh, I think sometimes, as you said, when he gets when he has to just quickly think about an option and take a decision, I think sometimes he might try to do a little bit too much. Yep. yep. Hit a target that isn't quite, you know, there as opposed to taking a safe option. I'm looking forward to watching him next year. It'll be very exciting. Sky's the limit again. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to him getting a bit more um, on ball time. I mean, he spent a f- I don't know the exact stat, but. He spent a lot of time forward this season. I'm looking forward to seeing him around the majority of contests because he's just he's a one grab player that can do things and create. Very very quick, yeah, hands, very quick put... kick, um, great evasion skills. 
Um, he's got it all, Chatty Wingard. He's going to be a star. I'm going to put you guys on the spot here for 10 years' time. And when we can go back to this podcast, how many um, how many All Australians do you think uh, Chad Wingard will rack up in his career? If he reaches his potential um, in ten years' time, you could probably say six or seven. I would think. Um, yeah, I'd agree. Realistically, that. probably three or four. I would think. Yeah, I, th- I think you could also maybe add a Brownlow to that list yeah. in the next ten if years. If there's one player on our list that has Brownlow potential. Um, multiple AA potentials, Chad Wingard, for sure. Because he's got that X factor? Everything that you look for in a modern footballer, I think. Yeah. 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 Pace, excitement, match-winning ability, uh, big game player, he's got everything. I'll yeah, go I've with so, yeah. six. Six for me. I've certainly got him pegged as our first ever Brownlow medalist. I mean, T. Boak might get in his way, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, last player on the list um, and the last for the reviews is Aaron Young he uh, had a little bit of an up and down year Um, he switched to the Port Adelaide Magpies um, early in the season Um, he had a bit of a slow start there he worked his way into the side late in the year and he was very very impressive to finish the season how do we see him uh, sort of fitting in for 2014 Um, I, I see Aaron Young as a very smart footballer in that he knows, particularly under the Hinkley game style, he knows where to run and he knows, you know, where to receive and where to dish off. And I think that's his strength going forward. Um, but in that, he needs to get into games a bit more. The thing I liked about um, his play to end the year, especially in the Collingwood game, was his work inside. Um, I always saw him as a bit more of a sort of a uh, outside player. Um, but his ability to sort of keep his feet in the clearances in the, at the stoppages, win the ball and dish it out, um, is something that we don't really have much of, um, and it adds a different sort of uh, a different trend to our midfield at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and the one like he was very good as a sub, um, and he's definitely someone that could be, uh, you know, a good sub going forward if you want to pick a specialist sub, but I would have liked to have seen him this year get a bit more opportunity in terms of playing a whole game and influencing from the start. Yep. Do we see him as being a sort of round one potential, actually? Um, he'll be, he'll be uh, pushing up. Yeah, or, I do think... Do we think maybe Polek or White might push him out? Yeah, that's I what I was so. about to say. Yeah, I mean, coming into this year, you saw Young as one of the players that was sort of fringe midfield, um, you know, in a 22, and I think Pollock and White would definitely affect that. But great depth if that happens. Yep. Yeah, well, I think he showed enough, to, especially at the end, to, there's something there, but I have a gut feeling that he might be one of those sort of players that might be looking for more opportunities at another club next year than what he might be getting at Port Adelaide. Yeah, but if that's the case, I mean, he, he would probably have fairly good currency, and that's the kind of player going into a premiership window that you can be smart with someone like Young or Paul Stewart um, in terms of your trading. Yep. Mm. Yeah, well, that's right. And both of those, uh, you know, I'm not going to write them off before the season started, but that's exactly right. Let's, um, they definitely uh, could be up for uh, trade. I think we're going to be trying to work really hard to push up uh, high in the draft order next year. Yeah. And even if we're not, I mean, there's, obviously you're never going to have a perfect list, but... Um, when we're entering our window, there are going to be certain things you need to address. And even if we don't have high picks, if you pushed out someone like Stuart O'Young for mm. a different fringe player that filled a need, um, 
particularly because our midfield depth going forward is going to be very good. Um, that's something you could look at. Mm. Yep. All right. Well, that's uh, that's the player reviews done. Um, just to reiterate the uh, the final standings in the Port Board Best and Fairest, uh, Travis Boak was the winner with 346 votes. He came from the clouds to win from Chad Wingard, who finished second with 301. Justin Westhoff was third. Bradley Ebert fourth. Robbie Gray fifth. Uh, for the young gun votes, uh, Chad Wingard was the runaway winner with 382 votes. Ollie Wines finished second with 174, and Cam O'Shea with 142. And the Toots Hibbert Best Team Man Award, uh, the captain Travis Boak won that one with 135. Tommy Jonas was second with Alipati Carlisle third. Pretty fair results, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that reflected the year. Can I just um, make reference to something I noticed today, that the little turncoat, uh, Nick Stevens that couldn't handle Adelaide, has uh, taken up a uh, coaching role with the Bays. And so after all these years, he's decided that he's happy to live in Adelaide again. That's great, isn't it? No, not really. Yeah. I, look for, I look forward to uh, Port Adelaide Magpies versus Glenelg games. Yeah, it'll add a bit Once of spice more. to it, certainly. Hmm. Yeah, if I could make an effort to go there, which I probably wouldn't, I probably would give him a bit of a spray. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's uh, that's probably about it for this week. Uh, Rick, oh, do you got any more uh, fishing tips? I do. I do have a, a very good uh, fishing tip for you all. If, you, if there's any boaties out there that decide to get an anchor winch on their boat, they are a fantastic uh, invention and worth every penny. However, remember, if, you're, um, if you drop it on... Uh, a dodge tide or uh, when there is no tidal movement, make sure you uh, tension the uh, the anchor rope before you bring it in. Otherwise, you spool and jag it and then you've got to spend an hour or two hours or, like me, pay someone because I'm a, a mechanical idiot uh, to actually come out and fix it because uh, it's no good when it's all wrapped around your uh, anchor. And I would just like to say, Aaron Greaves, who... Assistant to the assistant Melbourne midfield coach, Aaron Greaves. <laughs> Lovely. I'm looking forward to watching him work his magic next year. That's it. Noob Zorp, thanks for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having us, boys. It's been great having you on. Rick, it's a pleasure as always. Thank you very much. Might see, from, might see you from, at the Gold Coast next week, eh? Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, while I'm saying it, I might see, I'll probably see you guys at some point next year. I plan on coming over and seeing a game at the uh, New Oval. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, boys, until next week. Have a good one. All right, see you later. Cheers, boys.